Hi, this is Vic Nitti, Chair of the AUA Office of Education, and I'd like to welcome you to another Office of Education podcast. Today's topic will be on overactive bladder, clinical care pathway. I have with me as my co-host, Dr. Stephen Krauss, who is Professor and Interim Chairman of the Department of Urology at the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio. Uh, Dr. Krauss uh, was very much involved in the formulation of the SUFU, overactive bladder clinical care pathway, and as such, was the perfect person to talk to about clinical care pathways. So what we'd like to do in this segment is talk a little bit about clinical care, how they differ from guidelines, and how we can use clinical care pathway in this specific case for overactive bladder to help optimally manage our patients. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome uh, Steve to the podcast. Thanks, Victor, and thanks for having me. Um, yeah, this is a topic that's um, near and dear because we invested so much time and effort at SUFU, um, and we really felt it was overactive bladder was a, a great um, disease process to use a clinical care pathway for. It's, it's not like we don't have guidelines. The AUA, SUFU put together a set of guidelines uh, several years ago, and they are very, very good. They're very comprehensive. But in some regards, sometimes there's too much um, in terms of there's a lot of information. It's not exactly patient-friendly. And it also it, – it still has some areas where there could be more detail. So a clinical care pathway, at least for our purposes, was – the goal was to functionalize the guidelines, make them a little bit more user-friendly, um, make it so that uh, – Groups that use the guidelines um, or want to use the guidelines have a little more user-friendly uh, methodology for it. Um, there are pathways that exist. A lot of groups, or at least some groups, may have pathways out there already. The problem is, is that a lot of times they're not evidence-based or they may not offer all the therapies. So, let's, for example, if a group or a provider doesn't offer one type of third-line therapy, that Therapy will not be an option on their pathway because they don't offer it, but that's not fair to the patients. They really should be offered, at least be made aware of all options. Um, so, and then the last but not least, pathways that are out there really overutilize testing. When there's when uh, you get to a third line therapy, for example, they automatically will say you need to do invasive testing like urodynamics or cystoscopies, um, and that's not necessarily needed for the simple refractory type OAB patient. Um, and then the, the last thing is is that we've seen um, some of these pathways will push to third-line therapies, maybe a little more aggressively, um, maybe in part because they don't have the, the, um, the ability to offer a first-line therapy as much as they should or ways to help patients on second-line therapy stay on second-line therapy. Um, and that's what we hope the, our clinical care pathway will help with. So this clinical care pathway then is completely consistent with the AUA SUFU overactive bladder guidelines, correct? That's correct. We, we, we made an stringent effort to make sure we had stuck to the guidelines. And the only place we may have other materials or other information is where the guidelines could not answer questions. Because as you know, the guidelines are 
they have to be evidence based. And a lot of times when there's no evidence in an area, the guideline it's not that the guideline falls deficient in that area, but when the provider is looking for an answer and they don't see the answer in the guideline because there's no evidence for it, they walk away thinking, "My answer, my I need that answer question, that question answered, and this pathway should help with that." So, in overactive bladder, we really have uh, three tiers or lines of therapy, as we say. First line therapy, which is um, really behavioral therapies and, and, and exercises, second line therapies, which are pharmacologic therapies, and then the advanced or third line therapies, uh, which I know you're going to talk about um, uh, momentarily. So tell me how, or, or tell us how, the clinical care pathway works to sort of take the provider or the doctor and the patient through these different lines or, or um, um, types of therapies? Sure. Um, so the, the, the pathway, again, it mirrors the guidelines, um, but it's, like I said, it's a little more user-friendly. It functionalizes the guidelines. And there's, there's multiple parts to it. So when you look at the actual pathway itself, I mean, it's, a pa it's a piece of paper that basically says, you know, your first evaluation, um, what's required, what types of questions to ask, the physical exam, what things to, to fo uh, focus on, what tests are optional and what tests are maybe maybe not necessarily. Um, but then where there's a little bit of a of lack is the guideline state patients really should be, for the first-line therapy, the guideline state that the patients really should be made aware of what's normal bladder function, um, what's healthy bladder habits, um, it sets their expectation into a reality check, so to speak. So they know um, what what should and shouldn't be happening with their bladder. And the guidelines really just say to do that, but pay, but a lot of times the provider is not aware of how to do that. So we established patient-oriented education materials for that. Um, they just went up on the SUFU website uh, at the time of the AUA, actually, and they're available for everybody. It's not just SUFU members. It's open to everybody. Uh, I'll, I'll offer it multiple times during this discussion, but if you go to the SUFU website, but it's easiest to me, it's just, you Google, if you Google SUFU um, CCP, it'll pop up, but um, I'll give you the website later on at the end, the, the formal website. Um, but those patient materials are available to everybody, all providers, urologists, gynecologists, uh, primary care, and also mid-level providers. I think it's important because overactive bladder is really an area that is, um, a lot of middle, a lot of nurse practitioners and and PAs are are managing patients with overactive bladder. So, um, the other patient education materials in that first line module that you talked about, it it also includes talking about doing pelvic floor exercises, knowing what's good to eat or drink and what what to avoid, what are bladder friendly and maybe bladder not so friendly, bladder irritants, um, all those kinds of things. It's nice to say that, but when a provider's in their practice, especially if I'm, I'm envisioning like a, a solo practice, practitioner or a small group practitioner or someone who might not necessarily have the, the access to the materials that, that someone who does this a lot. Um, the SUFU clinical care pathway was made to make it easier for them. They can go to the website, download exercise. We had, you know, experts in the field, Kathy Bergio, Diane Newman, um, put together all these materials for us, or at least help us with it, um, and they really uh, did a nice job 
now you can get them online and just download it. So that's that's the first line therapy. Um, the second line therapy, the you know everyone can prescribe a drug, but I'm sure you're aware, and I'm sure everybody else on the call is aware, or I mean on the you know, audience is aware that the patients who get put on drugs very often end up not staying on their medications. The compliance rates for OAB medications are really not not good. It's a balance between how well the medication is working, but unfortunately it's the tolerability that typically drives them off the med. And some things are very simple that could help them tolerate or, or be more compliant with the medication. Um, warning them that the anticholinergics will have constipation issues, um, and if they have a tendency to be constipated, um, there'll be educational materials that will teach them you know, maybe you should be better on fiber, increase your fiber content, drink more fluids. It's counterintuitive. We just, you know, you, you're cutting back on fluids because your bladder problems, but increase your fluids to help your bowels so that when we put you on this drug, you may be able to tolerate it better. Things like chewing gum, sugar-free candies, uh, things to make the dry mouth better, uh, even the, the over-the-counter uh, artificial salivas. Those all sound very simple to you and me, but to our patients, they don't always, they're not always aware that those things exist. But they don't even just make the they don't make the connection, and these materials will help them with that. You know, Steve, one of the things that I liked most about the pathway when I first saw it was there are specific time points in the pathway for reevaluation. So a, a reevaluation time after first line therapy, a reevaluation time after instituting a medication. So periods of time, and you can talk a little bit about why you all chose those specific periods of time, but I think that's very helpful because as you know, many patients come in, get initial treatment, don't follow up. Maybe the treatment didn't work and they felt hopeless. Uh, maybe they didn't know they had to follow up again. Uh, those time points for reevaluation to me is is one of the most critical things that you have put into the clinical care pathway and, and something that I find myself doing now a little bit more stringently is making patients come back at those set evaluable time periods so that um, so that we can see how they're doing and make appropriate changes. No, I, I, you, you really hit it on the head there. Um, I mean, the time points were, they were developed based on um, looking at the guidelines and looking at whatever literature there was, really wasn't much, and then expert consensus, which is the way our pathway was designed. We have a committee. Um, when there's evidence to support decisions, we use it. When there was no evidence or, or minimal evidence, then it was pretty much a consensus. Um, and it actually wasn't too hard to come to consensus for the time points. Um, the time points are there in multiple places in the pathway. Um, as you said, they're at each stage, but the time points are there for the provider materials, so the doc or the, the nurse practitioner or the PA. They have the pathway in hand, and they're reading you know, in, in provider lingo um, what to do at each stage, and it includes the time points. But I think what really makes the pathway, so this particular pathway, so different than the others is that roadmap. The roadmap's got the time points too, but the roadmap is a patient instrument. It is, a, it is something the patient goes home with. Uh, they can download it, but the, the idea was that your provider would give it to them, and it's, it's shaped like a map. I mean, it's drawn like a map. It looks like a shoots and ladders game kind of map with intent because we want to make it 
um, as easy to follow as possible. And you're right, it does say stop one, you're, you're here, you do your initial evaluation. Uh, you get to the, to the third stop, it talks to you about doing those first line therapies. And then it gives you the intervals when you should be better or not better. And if you're uh, to check to see if you're better or not better. And it specifically tells you if you're not better, you should go this way, which is go talk to your provider about adjusting a medica starting a medication or adjusting a medication. Um, it also stresses if you are doing better, make sure you keep doing it and make sure you follow up with your provider long-term basis. But you're right, that, that was, I mean, nothing, nothing is more frustrating to me than when I see a patient, you know, one time uh, we decide she wants to go on an overactive bladder medication. I put her on it. She doesn't follow up, comes back a year or two later saying, I, you know, I'm not, I'm still wet. I'm not doing well. And so what happened to the medication? Oh, I couldn't tolerate that pill. I, it was horrible. Well, why did you wait a whole year to come back and see me? Um, my fault. I should have brought her in sooner. Um, and that's what the pathway is meant to prevent. Um, so, so maybe we can do a little role playing. So I'm, I, I will be the patient and you will be the, the, the doc following the clinical care pathway. And I have elected to treat my overactive bladder with some behavioral modification and um, some pelvic floor exercises. And I've done that. And I'm coming back to see you when. So um, the, the pathway says four to eight weeks um, in terms of the range. We would, my personal practice, we'd bring you back in six. Um, you would most likely, in my particular practice, you most likely would come back and see my, my, my PA, my physician's assistant. She follows the pathway. It, it, because the clinical care pathway was set in motion by me, the doc, in, at least in our state, um, as long as my PA is following the clinical care plan that I set forth, she's allowed, from a billing perspective, it allows her to optimize the practice's billing. Um, as long as I'm in the clinic or providers in the clinic, but she'd come back and she would ask the patient, how are you doing? And go over the, their goals and their, their responses. And if they're not better, then we would talk about, do they really want to continue on public floor exercises? Maybe initiate it with a, a physical therapist or someone in the office. We have a, a person who does that in our office um, or entertain the, the medications. And at that point, they'd go to step four, which is, you know, you're now on a medication. Are you better? Or are you not better? Um, okay, so I'll, I'll be the patient, and I, I have uh, told you, you know what, I'm not, uh, I might be a little better on my uh, first-line therapies, but I'm not really happy. I'm still having a lot of overactive bladder symptoms, and I think I would like to be made better. Um, okay, so we would- we going? We would talk about the medications that are that are available, go over the pros and cons of them, the the expected side effects. Um, you would most likely be, depending on your plan, be given the medication that's lowest tier or, or whatever you can. But um, we would download or we'd have we'd print a medication guide or medication aid tools, what we call it, um, and that's meant to review the the potential side effects that you're going to have on that medication to warn you proactively address those problems um, so that you can prepare for them. So as, as a first medication that I'm now going to go on, um, the clinical care pathway doesn't, um, doesn't tell you what the first medication is correct. It doesn't 
um, sequence medications. It's just there are a number of medications available, and we will choose one of them for whatever reason it's chosen. That's correct. That's, that's correct. It, it mentions the different classes of medications, and it does tell the provider. Now we're on the provider piece. It does tell the provider to take into consideration age of the patient, potential comorbidities, um, and definitely look at concomitant medications so there's, in terms of interactions, uh, formulary restrictions, and such, and then initiate the trial. And again, the biggest thing with medications, as you know, is, is patients don't always stay on them. Warn them about the potential side effects so that they're not shocked and can deal with it ahead of time. So now I've started on my medication. Um, when am I going to visit you uh, or your advanced practice provider again? So you, if you have the map, you would look and say, well, it's now four weeks later. Um, and it actually asks you, are you better or are you not better? If you're not better, let's actually go with you are better. If you are better, it tells you to keep doing what you're doing and initiate a, a plan for a long-term follow-up. So we would have plugged you in anyway, but that reminds you to keep in touch with us. At let's say, let's say I didn't give you a follow-up appointment. You know, my bad. It was a busy day in clinic, and you left, and I didn't give you that follow-up. The roadmap will warn you. Oh, you're not better at four weeks. You need to talk to your provider about maybe adjusting the dose, or increasing. Sorry, in, adjusting the dose or switching to another medication, and and try it again. Uh, but I guess I guess you could say ideally this can be utilized once somebody gets into the 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 care pathway when they go to check out so to speak uh, they can just be plugged right into their next appointment according to you know whether it be four weeks six weeks eight weeks depending upon one's practice but within that four to eight week range which I guess would be ideally efficient. Um, and does follow the pathway. So now let's say it's it's six weeks later, I have my follow-up appointment, and I say, you know, I, I'm a little bit better, but, you know, I don't mind taking the medication. I'm a little bit better, but I, I think I still, I, I'd like more relief of my overactive bladder symptoms six weeks after I started medication. So based on the pathway, we would sit down with you and go over what, what goals are not being met um, and make sure it's not a tolerability issue. And we look to see if maybe another try of a, a second medication um, would be in uh, a better option. Maybe, maybe you're on a single dose medication and maybe you need something with a higher dose or, or maybe it's a tolerability issue. And maybe if you're, let's say you're on an anticholinergic, maybe this would be a good opportunity to entertain the possibility of doing uh, a beta three agonist. Cause, or, you know, or vice versa, I guess. Or vice versa, definitely. And potentially off label, I guess, or not, but we would even talk about a combination. Right. So, um, so we got to, so it's, it's now in that, time frame it's now i've let's say we've added a medication or to taken a higher dose now i don't as i read the pathway it doesn't say specifically when to stop changing or adding medications it tells us to reevaluate at four to eight weeks but it doesn't say specifically you know you've tried two medications, now you must move on to something else. Am I correct in that interpretation? Um, it was, I, I guess, yes, you are. Uh, it was designed to, or at least it was implied that after you've tried two medications, you should at least be considering 
going to a third line therapy. The roadmap, you know, clearly, if you're a patient and you're on the roadmap, um, it, it says, you know, it's been another four weeks and you're not better. Um, it may be time to consider advanced therapies. Um, maybe if you're not seeing an OAB specialist, maybe now's the time to consider one. There's nothing to say you can't try a third medication. I mean, you know, the guidelines are meant, are exactly that. They're guidelines. And the pathway was meant to help the guidelines. But if they're not doing better and they don't want to go do a third line therapy, sure, you could try another drug. What we were aiming to to cut back on was the, the we call it the drug dance. You know, how many times, how many different drugs can you be on before you say, medications just aren't doing it for you. Maybe if you want, think of a third line therapy. So we need to introduce that third line therapy concept. I mean, it sounds like seriously introduce it at this time, but still it's ultimately going to be up to the patient to make the choice, um, which I think is, is very, is very good. I mean, you can advise the patient that, you know, you've tried two or three medications, the likelihood that a fourth medication is going to work is, is low. We have these other treatments, but I guess the patient can still do that. And I guess if, again, they're coming back in four to eight weeks, it's not as bad as what I've seen happen in practice where patients will stay on medications that don't work indefinitely and never get moved on to therapy. So again, I think that the thing that I find most helpful with the clinical care pathway are those reevaluation points. So patients don't, even if, even if they decide to take a third medication or a fourth medication, if they're coming back in four to eight weeks, it's not as much time lost as the patient really getting stuck in a loop of, you know, months and months and months and months of medications that don't work or just stopping the medication and not coming back. Agreed. I mean, we, um, if a patient and a provider discuss that they want to continue on meds and meds and meds, that's, that's their prerogative. What we really wanted to do, and that's, again, the nice thing about this pathway is it really empowers the patient to be involved in, in knowing what's the next step and, and what the decision-making options are. If a patient wants to keep going in, in that drug loop, then, then okay. I mean, that's what they want. If, if a patient is in the drug loop and they weren't aware that they could go to a third-line therapy, which happens, this is meant to help them with that. Correct. And, you know, I, I, there, was some, uh, there was some nice work that, that was presented from uh, Virginia Mason at the, uh, at the AUA 2017 annual meeting that showed number of patients progressing to third-line therapies at Virginia Mason. And in the um, general, if the patient was being treated by a generalist, a non-urologist, or a non-urogynecologist, uh, was about 3% of patients eligible went on to third-line therapies. If it was a urologist, 10%. And if it was an FPMRS specialist or somebody dedicated to overactive bladder, it was 15%. And they were starting to use these types of pathways in their subspecialty practice. So hopefully we do see this is a way to get more people to um, 
to uh, move on to therapies that potentially can help them. So and now, Matt, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I do want to add one thing because that's when I look at the pathway and I, and I always look at, you know, what did we do good and what could we be criticized on? You know, if the pathway results in more people going to third line therapies, in my opinion, it is really because those were patients who were stuck in the earlier therapies and really belonged in third line therapies, or at least we offered it to them. We hope we don't want to be pushing people into third line therapies. That's not the goal of this pathway. It's just to make them aware that they exist. Now, it's going to mean an increase in third line therapies because there are patients who probably should be there, but there was no intention to, to, Right. Increase third line therapies inappropriately. And I think the other thing is, you know, and, and, and for those listening, third line therapies, sacral neuromodulation, onobotulinum toxin A, uh, percutaneous tibial nerve stimulation are what comes after drugs. Those are what we call the third line, the third line therapies, uh, as stated in the guidelines. But I think it also allows for earlier use of third line therapies in those patients who are candidates and who want those those therapies and at least with sacral neuromodulation some of the data that's come out from the insight trial would suggest that patients who aren't as severe as patients who who used to progress onto third line therapy not meaning that they don't need it, but they're not as severe as the most severe patient. Those patients right. actually do quite well when they right. move on to therapy. So again, to me, this is a way of getting patients to the right therapy for them and getting them to the right therapy quicker. Right. Um, I mean, we used to reserve third line therapies for the worst of the worst and, and they did well. They did, I mean, they did good. But there's no question that there's patients who are maybe not the worst of the worst, uh, but they would have done great had we put them on, yeah. on third lines and earlier. I, I think just ha the patients and the care providers having that information is going to be really beneficial to the patients. So, Steve, you know, let's say there are um, uh, folks out there listening and they want to they, they want to start using the clinical care pathway. They're ready to go. Um, I will say that for those who attended the AUA um, annual meeting in Boston 2017, you did receive in, in, in sort of the welcome packet that was given out, the, the SUFU clinical care pathway was in there. So you guys did a great job of, of getting that out. But let's say I now, I've listened to this podcast and I really want to start using the clinical care pathway, where do I go to get the resources? So the official website is sufuorg.com backslash OAB. And let me say that in the clear way. S-U-F-U-O-R-G dot com backslash OAB. But I just did it earlier this morning. If you just Google, and that's a verb these days, if you Google Sufu CCP, it pops up right away. Sufu website's basically where you got to go. And when you go there, what what is what resources are there for um, providers or and, and patients? So actually, I, I appreciate you asking that um, because we are going to be revamping the section now that we have the more materials. But there are patient materials there, and there are provider materials there. The provider materials are 
basically copies of the pathway itself um, with uh, with some more detail on it. The patient roadmap, which again, that's what makes this pathway so much different and so much better, in my opinion, of the other pathways that are out there, because that roadmap is it, it's it's the patient map that keeps them from getting lost in this in that uh, that oblivion that you described earlier, where they 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 don't know where to go, they lose their follow up, and and they go to the roadmap, and oh oh I got to go here now. Um, so that's on the website, and then there's patient materials for that first line therapy which is the the patient education materials the dietary modifications the uh, learning about your lower urinary tract what its normal function is and the exercises that's all there too and then what's coming is that medication aid tool to help them tolerate the medications that that we should have out within a few months but the one thing that we didn't talk about yet is the app we we are in the planning phase now for a smartphone app which everything that we just talked about, the reminders and all, would come through the app as well, chime in, maybe even ask the question or expect it to ask the question, uh, maybe use the PGII or, or short questionnaire, are you better or, or however the question is phased. And if it reaches a certain threshold, they keep going. If they reach a, a, a bad threshold, then they are prompted, you should consider talking to your provider because you're not doing well. Great, well, Steve, uh, this has been really informative. I think my favorite phrase uh, that you used in all this was that the SUFU clinical care pathway functionalizes the AUA SUFU overactive bladder guidelines. I think that's a really nice way of putting it. Uh, you, uh, you have not created a new guideline. It's completely consistent with the guidelines uh, from the AUA and SUFU that were um uh, that are currently up uh, and active on the uh on both websites so i think it's a really important tool for both patients uh, and clinicians uh steve any closing remarks um it's available to everybody i, I really think it, it will help your practice and actually i think will make it easier a lot of the things that you might have spent time on talking it, it's the, the the format is is user friendly patient friendly we had medical uh or I should say uh, medical editors reviewing it to make sure this is on a on a patient level I, I think it's a it's a it's a great resource for your practice um you'll even if you don't do a lot of it you'll be able to offer everything at least you should be able to offer everything um that those who who do a lot of work in it or focus in it and it was meant to be a one-stop shopping place so you go to the you go to the websites and download it download it and everything should be there for you well great uh steve thank you so much uh um for uh your time and and uh giving us this this really nice podcast i'd also like to thank the audience for listening uh for more information about our podcasts you can go to www auanet.org slash university. Um, and for more information on the SUFU OAB clinical care pathway, you can go to sufuorg.com slash OAB. Um, I look forward to uh, uh, presenting our next podcast in the very near future and hope uh, that many of our audience will be attending that as well. Thank you.